War in Europe, rampant inflation, slowing global growth. With heightened uncertainty hanging over the global economy, understanding the drivers that will influence markets over the coming year has become more important than ever. The return of inflation has spurred central banks around the world into action. But rising interest rates against a backdrop of slowing growth and a late-stage business cycle requires investors to undertake a profound rethink of how they allocate assets. The question is, how should they go about it? I'm Tom Parker, and with me to discuss the outlook for 2023, as well as how to approach specific asset classes, including equities, credit and commodities, is John Mullins, Vice President and Product Strategist at PIMCO. Hello, Tom. Thanks for having me. John. How do you see things unfolding over the next 12 months? And what are the principal economic themes that investors should focus on? Thanks, Tom. I think it's clear that inflation is the largest macro driver of markets and policy today. And we're still not out of the woods in terms of inflation risk yet. As we move into next year, I think what investors are going to be looking for predominantly is some stability in the risk-free rate or or the interest rate on, on safe government bonds. And that's not likely to come until we see more convincing evidence that inflation not has has come all the way back down to central bank targets. There's a lot of space between eight or nine percent and and two, two and a half percent, which is where central banks target inflation. But even if inflation comes down gradually through next year from from eight or nine percent to to say four percent, I think investors will take some confidence in that. That's a world in which central banks could pause rate hikes, slow rate hikes and eventually reassess the policy path as we move through next year. Core duration, core interest rates are looking more attractive. We've gone from being underweight to a much more neutral stance today. And once we get a bit of stabilization in interest rates, we can certainly see a benefit to having more duration in the portfolio, especially as growth takes over from inflation as the main macro driver. Now, that's not guaranteed, but that's a a kind of decent base case as we move into a more recessionary environment next year. And then once we get past the early part of of the recession, investors can then start thinking about credit and equities further down the road in, in terms of risk taking. Let's take a closer look at inflation and responses by central banks. Where is all of this heading and how will it affect asset prices? Yeah, certainly inflation and the resultant central bank policy has been the biggest driver of asset prices this year. And most importantly, because it's led to high correlations between equities and bonds. And what I mean by that is equity and bond prices, which typically move in the opposite direction, are moving in the same direction. So the hiking of the interest rates is bad for bonds and and slowing growth is bad for equity earnings and other economically sensitive assets. Insofar as inflation remains high, that dynamic is likely to continue. Now, recent CPI in the US was certainly reassuring, and there were parts of the inflation basket, medical care, used vehicles, airfares, that are starting to show some softness. But equally, over the last few months, we have witnessed strength in what we call stickier parts of the inflation basket, parts of the inflation basket that typically exhibit lower volatility. Rents is a, is a good example. So I think there's, there's reason to be constructive, but it's unlikely to be a smooth path back down towards central bank targets. And so we should prepare ourselves for volatility in asset markets. We do expect that central or that inflation in in the US has peaked or is close to peaking and should 
moderate as we move through next year. We think in Europe that's going to take a little bit longer than inflation peaks towards the end of this year, early next year. The UK has had a lot of volatility, specifically on the fiscal side, but equally labour markets in the UK are, are pretty tied and we're seeing wage growth that I think, especially more recently, has, has been above expectations. So the UK a little bit harder to predict. But I think as we look towards 2023, some moderation in inflation rates is reasonable. It's probably going to be a lot easier for policymakers to get inflation from 8 to 4% than getting it from 4 to 2%. And so we should expect that inflation stays above central bank targets over the cyclical horizon. As we look over the longer term, the kind of three-year view, higher inflation will remain a factor in how central banks think about their policy response. So central banks are unlikely to respond to falling growth and and falling equity markets in the way that they had done in, in the previous era, in the previous decade. There are secular drivers that will lead to a more inflationary environment over the next five years relative to the the pre-pandemic era. And and some of those factors, including the energy transition, including deglobalization, and including the desire from political and corporate leaders to to build more resiliency into their supply chains, which will come with additional costs. So again, the inflation dynamic looking a little bit more promising, I think, than it was three months ago for asset markets. Policymakers will be happy with the recent CPI report, but we need to be careful about reading too much into one print. Certainly, we are focusing on, on resilience within portfolios at PIMCO today and, and making sure we're not taking too much directional risk one way or the other. Turning to equities now, evidence is growing that we're nearing the end of the business cycle. How should investors respond in terms of their asset allocations? If we look in, in Europe and the UK, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to see how we avoid a recession. And then in the US, maybe in a little bit better situation, but I think recession is probably the base case in the US next year as well. So that obviously has significant impacts for investors. I think when investors look at their asset allocation mix, they're looking at really relative equities relative to credit and equities relative to duration. I think when we look at equities today, they're still not consistent with a recession. When we look at credit, actually default, implied default rates in credit are looking pretty elevated. And so you could make the argument that credit is better priced for a recessionary environment. And equally, starting rates tend to be a much better predictor of fixed income performance. And so the starting place for yields is much higher. And so you can make the argument, especially on a forward-looking basis, that that credit is more attractive relative to equity markets both in terms of that kind of six to 18 month view, but also on the more secular view where equities may be challenged by, say, deglobalization, a less favorable corporate tax environment. But as the world looks to globalize less or deglobalize, whichever way you want to cut it, that's going to be a bit of a headwind for equity earnings um, and equity margins. And so investors may make the case as we look forward over the more secular horizon that fixed income is more attractive relative to equities given those factors. At some point, investors are going to be like, right, I want to put economic risk back into portfolios. I want to adjust my asset allocation. Probably credit's going to be the more appealing place to start there. And then equities and high yield later on when you get a bit more clarity around earnings and, and a clarity around how deep and long the recession is likely to be. What about bonds, which play a huge role in any balanced portfolio? How should investors approach fixed income over the next 12 months? And how should they respond to any further evidence of economic slowdown? 
When you get a little bit more certainty around inflation, you can see a world in which investors focus on recession risk. And that's a world in which duration and core interest rates can perform pretty well, especially, again, given where we are in terms of the starting point for yields, you have to think there's more, um, firstly, you're, get, you're getting more income, right? And, and secondly, you, you have to think there's more diversification potential within core bonds. And so I think there'll be a point in the coming quarters where we'll feel much more comfortable taking more duration risk. We're not there yet, but I, I think you're getting close, especially as, as interest rates have repriced higher and the market prices in a terminal rate of 45 to 5%, which we think is probably reasonable. Maybe it'll be a little bit higher, maybe it'll be a bit lower, but broadly within the ballpark of, of what's reasonable then there's going to be value. And especially, again, when you look at the asset allocation playbook for recessionary environments, typically you want to own duration in the first and, and second part of, of the recession and then pivot into things like credit and equities as we get further down the road. So I think the the outlook, we have become more constructive on the outlook for core bonds and especially where starting rates are, starting yields are, it's a constructive environment going into 2023. The war in Ukraine has played havoc with commodities this year, with importers scrambling to find alternative sources of energy, metals and agricultural products. How do you see commodity prices evolving in 2023 and what do investors need to keep an eye on? Commodities have been at the epicenter of investors' woes and concerns this year because I think when we came into 2022, at the start of 22, it was reasonable to have an expectation that inflation would moderate as the pandemic effects started to wash through the system as supply chains started to work themselves out. The situation in Ukraine pushed back any kind of forecast for the moderation in inflation because it caused this big commodity shock, and particularly within energy markets, but also elsewhere in, in agriculture and, and, and metals. And so that's been good in the sense that commodities have been a good inflation hedge. It's been good for commodity investors, but it's been bad for everybody else because it's meant inflation has stayed much higher. And so equities and bonds have continued to derate as we move through this year. More recently, you've seen a bit weaker commodity prices. I think that's mostly because investors are looking at the macroeconomic outlook and they're saying, hey, listen, we're, we're probably going to a recession. And the typical playbook for a recession is that commodities, because of fall in demand, commodity prices would weaken. I think that's fair, but we would also point to the fact that a lot of the strength in commodity prices in the recent past has been much more of a supply story. And those supply issues within commodities are unlikely to resolve themselves in the short term. So you're going to have some GDP sensitivity to commodities, but equally, the supply side is going to lend some support. So demand's going to fall, but supply is likely to remain relatively constrained. And so that's a world in which commodities can do okay, even in a falling growth environment. In terms of Commodities as part of a broader multi-asset portfolio. Commodities have done a really good job of diversifying portfolios since the pandemic. They've been one of the only real diversifying asset classes that investors can hold. I think the case for commodities as a diversifier, as an inflation hedge, remains fairly well supported on the strategic basis. If we do expect more volatile inflation cycles going forward, more upside risk around inflation, and we also accept that those inflation risks can be very destructive to traditional multi-asset portfolios, then I think we can make a strong argument for commodities as an allocation within the broader strategic asset allocation. John, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me, Tom. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.